Shameless Media. This episode of the Shameless Book Club is brought to you by Bailey's, inspiring indulgence through me time moments. A good writer can create an entire universe with nothing more than words. But what happens when real life is even more outrageous than a story in a book? Welcome to Stranger Than Fiction, where we investigate the intriguing world of writers and the bizarre reality behind some of the world's most famous stories. I'm your host, Eilish Gilligan, and today I am joined by shameless podcast producer and host of Everybody Has a Secret, Annabelle Lee. Hi, How are you going? I'm good. Thanks for having me. I love when you read stories to me and all I have to do is sit here and go (gasps) (laughs) well I really think you're gonna like this one today it's a little bit different Mm -hmm. it's not particularly scandalous yeah but it is definitely strange which I think qualifies for a stranger than fiction episode yes I really want to talk to you about the bizarre way two of the most famous book series came to be. Twilight. My favourite series in the world. Okay, Slay. (laughs) And what book am I going to mention next, do you think? My mind is going to uh, Fifty Shades of Grey. Yes, nailed it. Yes, yes, yes. (laughs) Amazing, because it turns out E.L. James's Fifty Shades of Grey would have never existed without Stephanie Meyer's Twilight series, and Twilight would never have existed without a dream. Yes, a literal dream. Oh, I don't know about this dream. I was about to say I've read those Twilight books multiple times, so I might know some stuff in this story, but I didn't know it started from a dream. So I think we should just dive straight into that dream, shall we? Mm -hmm. So on the 2nd of June 2003, when a young Mormon mother named Stephanie Meyer was about 30 years old, she woke suddenly from a very vivid dream. In her dream were two figures lying next to each other in a meadow. I know the scene. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) I think I have to describe it just in case people don't know, Mm -hmm. but I am also very familiar. (laughs) Was his skin shimmering in the sunlight? Maybe. (laughs) (laughs) So one of these figures was obviously a normal girl and the other one was a vampire whose alabaster skin was sparkling in the sun. (laughs) In this dream, the couple were discussing a problem. They were falling for each other hard. And the vampire was struggling to control himself around the alluring scent of the girl's blood. So she kind of had this like prophetic dream where she came up with this conundrum Mm. and it inspired her to write like a four book series, which I kind of think is really cool. It's very cool. But it's just so funny because when I used to read this series, I never, ever thought it was fucked. But in hindsight, it's like, <laughs> oh, my God, this guy like wants to drink her blood. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get into it. Yeah. yeah, sorry, jumping ahead there. <laughs> Although she had no idea at the time, Stephanie's dream would go on to spark a powerful empire of books, movies and fandoms, an empire that had much more impact and surprising influence over the culture than anyone could have imagined. But we're not there yet. Mm -hmm. The Twilight Saga was still just a dream. Stephanie, who had never written a novel before, but was a big reader, and she I did read that she studied writing in college. Okay. Couldn't get the dream couple out of her head. So she wrote down as much as she could remember and then the story unraveled. In her own words, Stephanie wrote about this process. From that point on, not one day passed that I did not write something. On the bad days, I would only type out a page or two. On the good days, I would finish a chapter and then some. 
I mostly wrote at night after the kids were asleep so that I could concentrate for longer than five minutes without being interrupted. I started from the scene in the meadow and wrote through to the end. Then I went back to the beginning and wrote until the pieces matched up. I love this story because this girl boss has <laughs> these like young children in her house. I didn't know she was a mum when she wrote this. Yeah. She was 30. She was a mother to, I think it was at least two young children, if not three. And she was writing this book in all of her spare moments. Which is like, I'm sure, very few moments. Yeah. <laughs> and the cutest thing is her older sister, Emily, was the one who she like shared this process with and the only one who knew that she was doing this, which I really think is a lovely um, sister girl boss moment as well. Was she a single mum, Stephanie Mike? No, oh, okay. no, she wasn't. She so she didn't even tell her husband? <laughs> I don't think she did. I'm sure like he was aware that she was doing something, but mm. it in multiple sources, it says like her older sister, Emily, was the only one who knew that's kind of iconic it's like guy you won't get this yeah <laughs> honestly tea though like, yeah. <laughs> so it took her about three months to write twilight which actually isn't very long when you consider what else she had going on mm. stephanie's older sister emily was the person who persuaded her to try and get her novel officially published stephanie ended up sending around 15 queries and receiving quote seven or eight rejections the whole twilight saga might have just ended there if it hadn't been for one inexperienced assistant at the literary agency writer's house another yeah. girl boss <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she knew she knew slay i need to stop saying slay sorry no <laughs> no, no it's part of the lexicon <laughs> this part i love this detail of this story Twilight was originally a 130,000 word manuscript, Oof. which is roughly 520 double spaced pages, mm -hmm. which is hefty. It's a hefty read. Yeah, thick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Twilight was a ludicrously long novel for a young adult book. So luckily for Stephanie, the assistant at Writer's House that found her manuscript didn't actually know this. Mm -hmm. They didn't know that young adult novels are actually only supposed to be about 40,000 to 60,000 words. Yeah. So instead of just throwing it out straight away, the assistant was like, you know what? I'm going to pick this up. Mm -hmm. I'm going to show this to my boss. So it was for this reason only that the manuscript was passed on to Writer's House hotshot literary agent Jodie Reamer, who ended up loving it. So Jodie Reamer also went on to represent many more popular young adult novels, including The Fault in Our Stars by Another John good Green. One. Yeah. yeah. So with Jodie's representation, American publishing house Little Brown & Co. offered Stephanie $750,000 for not just Twilight, but two additional books from Stephanie as well. This was the highest fee the publisher had ever paid for a manuscript at this time. Also for a first book. Yeah. That's huge. Yep. It's really iconic, honestly. So lucky that Stephanie had her book stumbled upon by an assistant who, A, didn't know like the length she was supposed to be looking for. Yeah. And also, I feel like she would have more time to sift through all these different manuscripts and actually pay attention, this amount of attention to one of them. I really love this story because it is just like a series of unexpected events. Yeah, you know? yeah. So what happened next? Well, in 2005, Twilight got published as we know, as we know, mm -hmm. you and I, <laughs> it told the story of Bella Swan, a clumsy, introverted 17-year-old who moves to Forks, Washington, a perpetually rainy small town to live with her father, Charlie. 
There, she meets a 104-year-old vampire, Edward Cullen, and the rest of his family. And after falling irrevocably in love with Edward, she finds out that he and the rest of the Cullens are vampires. There's also her bestie slash second love interest, Jacob Black, who is a werewolf. <laughs> Sounds quite funny when you're <laughs> Also, listening to you say a vampire who is 140 blah blah years old. <laughs> it's funny because I'm sure so many people know this story. Yep. But if you weren't to know the plot of this story, hearing that and not knowing that he has like the appearance of a young teenager yeah. is just so funny. <laughs> Actually, so true. I should reiterate, he looks 17. <laughs> <laughs> So Twilight went on to become a four-book series featuring a supernatural love triangle, a lot of teen angst, and the eventual happy ending where Bella and Edward get married and have a half-human, half-vampire super baby called Renesme, Who Jacob, I mean, spoiler alert, yeah. imprints on. Yeah, and I remember even at the time when I was a teenager reading that, I was like, ah. at that point, I was like, this is bad. Yeah. <laughs> this is fucked. <laughs> I was like, I don't know how I feel about like, this. she's a baby. Anyway, yeah. we're Getting into the, a the the weeds of the plot. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and Edward also does eventually turn Bella into a vampire. Yes, which she wants from like the very first book. Yes. <laughs> In the first month after its release, the first Twilight reached number five on the New York Times bestseller list for children's books. By 2009, the first Twilight movie had been released, starring Robert Pattinson and Kristen Stewart. If Stephanie Meyer wasn't a household name before the films, after them, she was absolutely that. At the time of recording, it's said that 160 million copies of Twilight have been sold. On top of that, the films have grossed over $3 billion at the box office. What did you think of the movies? Just side note. I loved them all for different reasons. The Mm -hmm. first one was giving like indie film. Yes. (laughs) And the others were like more blockbustery. I remember when the first film came out, I was in year six and my friends and I all assigned ourselves different roles. Oh, I And we went onto like the top oval of our school and we acted out the baseball scene. (laughs) I was obviously Alice because I have black hair. (laughs) And I just remember vividly doing the whole like throw. It's so cringe. It's so cringe. I love that. But I loved all the movies. I really did. Did you like them? I did. Me and my, I'm a little bit older than you. So I was in high school when these came out Mm. and me and my friendship group kind of ironically really liked it. Yeah. And like ironically watched it, but I'm pretty sure we all genuinely loved it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it was like cool to be like, oh Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm pushing for those who were watching this on video, I'm pushing my <laughs> imaginary side fringe to the side. <laughs> Literally that's what we were doing. I think all of us had side fringes at that moment. <laughs> so diehard fans didn't just like Twilight. They loved Twilight. Mm. For some, the story of Bella Swan Fox and its secret vampires became almost like a religion. As per a 2009 profile of Stephanie Meyer for The Guardian, the hysteria that has greeted each publication day quickened into a bacchanalian frenzy. Events were complete with nubile tweens with bite me scrawled across their foreheads. What was it about Twilight that was so appealing to young girls? Before I get into some of my research about the answer to this question, what do you think, Annabelle? Oh, that is a very good question. I think maybe part of it, this is happens later on in the plot, obviously, but perhaps part of it is the love triangle element mm-hmm. of the story. Definitely. Having two hunky men pine over a regular gal, like yes. a gal next door kind of gal. But before Jacob Black kind of entered the plot, I'm trying to think what made Edward Cullen so 
appealing to young women. I guess that he was so intensely in love with Bella Mm. that now as an adult it feels a little weird and icky, but at the time, reading as a kid, you don't really have an experience. Well, I didn't anyway in that kind of world, in the romance world. So I was like, whoa, that's cool. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Also, like, for me, it was that he was so intensely in love with her, the most perfect boyfriend ever and so attractive. Yeah. But it was also very chaste. He was like the umpire of sex Mm. in their relationship and there was never any kind of blurred lines or trying to push boundaries or whatever. It felt very safe, I suppose, as like a young teenager. And he, yeah, I guess... Off the back of what you're saying, he never questioned his love for her. I mean, yeah. ish, but for different reasons. Yep. It was like so intense that it was like, this is incredible. Yeah. <laughs> for Glamour, writer Jenny Singer attempted to answer this question. For a certain group of people, a diverse, obsessive cohort dominated by young women, Twilight quickly became more important than food, more <laughs> precious than friendship, more real than our own lives. Love that quote. <laughs> <laughs> she continued... As I grew from Twilight fan to adult critic, seeing the giant black volumes sitting on my childhood bookshelves like infants' tombstones, I could no longer remember what it was about the books that had left me breathless. Was it simply that the books captured my greatest sexual fantasy at the time, which was lying fully dressed next to a man, also fully dressed, and receiving compliments? (laughs) Literally. I'm like, maybe I still want that. (laughs) Maybe that's why sometimes I go and I rewatch the movies. (laughs) She adds, this fantasy holds up. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) T. This piece also makes a good point in that while Twilight deserves thoughtful criticism, we're getting there, Mm. the best readers to offer that criticism might actually just be the fans themselves. Yeah. Quote, Twilight criticism is nearly infinite and often deserved, but as with all things loved by teenage girls and mocked by the general public, the most relevant critics are the girls themselves. So we're going to get into some of those criticisms right after the break. Leading up to the end of the year, I know that it can be so difficult to find time to read a book or take a moment for yourself, but it is so important. Today's sponsor, Bailey's, wants to remind us to take some time for ourselves. I have been loving the new Bailey's Tiramisu Liqueur Over Ice. It's a great way to have an indulgent moment leading up to summer. The team has absolutely nailed the flavour combination too. It's the perfect blend of chocolate, coffee, vanilla and cinnamon. If you are looking to create some delicious adult treats leading up to the holidays, Bailey's have got you covered. The Bailey's hot chocolate cake recipe is so indulgent. Layers of chocolate cake coated in a Bailey's infused chocolate ganache. What's not to love? Bailey's is great to enjoy with friends or even alone curled up with a book for a moment of me time. If you are over 18 and interested in an indulgent treat, head online or in-store to shop Bailey's. Remember to drink responsibly. Thank you so much to Bailey's for making this episode of The Shameless Book Club possible. So, of course, all of this is not to say Twilight is without criticism. Actually, the critiques of the series and of Maya's writing were aplenty and many of them are extremely valid. I actually cut out about six pages of Twilight criticism. (laughs) (laughs) Just like a peek behind the scenes because we realised that this episode was going to run like way too long if I got into the weeds of every single one of the criticisms. Mm -hmm. So, I'm just going to list them for you here. 
So many feminists critiqued Bella's dull personality and perpetual victimhood and alleged that Edward was a controlling slash borderline abusive boyfriend. The Indigenous Quileute people critiqued the series for cultural theft. Stephanie's writing style was also criticised for being too simplistic. Like, damn. Some argued that Stephanie was espousing problematic pro-life views in Breaking Dawn. If you're interested in these critiques like I was, I found a lot of academic papers and also online articles and essays kind of diving into some of these issues in way, way, way more depth than we're able to. I'm going to link some of my favorite ones in the show notes for you. I wish we had some more time to dive into some of those critiques properly, but for now, there's another book series we need to talk about that wouldn't have existed without Twilight. So despite the many criticisms, the Twilight saga was nothing short of a phenomenon. The fan movement for the saga was a remarkable moment in pop culture and amongst many other ventures, inspired an onslaught of budding authors in the form of Twilight fan fiction. So I did a bit of a deep dive into the history of fan fiction. Mm -hmm. So I think we should cover that before we chat about Fifty Shades. Fan fiction has been around for hundreds of years in some form or another. Before mass production of printed texts and predating any form of copyright law, people experienced stories exclusively through oral retelling, as per The Guardian. Such tales were retellings and remakings of the same stories over generations. There was a manuscript culture in which texts were open to intervention and were not fixed. Nobody owned them, and they were based on stock characters. The Rake, the Temptress, the Stephron and the Phyllis, Shepherd and Shepherdess, the Priest, the Devil, the Good Samaritan. I mean, like, if you even think about the Bible and religious stories, mm-hmm. like, everybody owns those. Yeah. It's not God's copyright. Wait, <laughs> <laughs> <Like>, what? <laughs> so by the 20th century, cheaper printing techniques made distributing text much more accessible, allowing the masses to participate in publishing pretty much anything. Mm-hmm. It was Jane Austen's novels that inspired one of the first fandoms, which I am so obsessed with. As per The Guardian, a cult of dedicated literary fans called themselves the Janeites, and the novel Old Friends and New Fancies, an imaginary sequel to the novels of Jane Austen by Sybil Brinton, published in 1913, was the first published work of Austen fan fiction. Oh, Jane would. Jane would inspire that. Yeah, <laughs> and I honestly think she would have loved it too. Yeah. Of course, modern copyright law made it hard to actually publish fan fiction and make money from it, and depending on your own personal thoughts on the matter – that was a potentially good or a bad thing for the industry. As per The Guardian, while fanfic multiplied exponentially with the invention of the internet, authors were split over what to do about it. Anne Rice, author of the Interview with the Vampire series, vigorously defended her copyright, claiming that fanfic, in particular AU or alternate universe or like non-canon fanfiction, diluted the integrity of her characters and stories. Fan fiction authors then claimed that Rice had attacked them by email and even threatened their businesses. So a lot of other authors viewed the issue differently to Anne Rice, like the literal opposite. Douglas Adams, author of The Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, claimed that fan fiction based on his own work expanded his understanding of the parallel universes he created in his novel. C.S. Lewis encouraged his fans multiple times to write their own stories set in the world of Narnia. I read a few letters from C.S. Lewis to, like, 
young young fans like little kids Mm. and it's so sweet because he's like oh I'm not gonna write any more Narnia books but if you want to like explore the stories you should write your own it's like so cute that is so nice and encouraging it would also just be so lovely as an author to see people expand on your work like the world you created is somebody else's inspiration that's beautiful (sighs) it's hard because at the same time I like (laughs) totally agree with you but at the same time I'm kind of like well but if I've created this whole thing and it's like my intellectual property. Yeah, that's true. Like it's mine. Yeah. 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 <laughs> I don't know. I kind of go up and down about it. Because of Twilight's popularity and because of the ubiquitousness of the internet by this time, Twilight fan fiction was abundant to say the least. Literally countless Twilight fan fictions have been published in forums across the web over the years. Fan written stories that focus on canon and non-canon events and relationships within the Twilight universe. However... There was one Twilight fanfiction that would go on to become so, so much more. In August 2009, a user under the pen name Snow Queen's Ice Dragon posted an... (laughs) (laughs) Usernames will never not make me laugh. (laughs) It's honestly, it's so funny when you have to read out someone's username. (laughs) Especially if you're trying to say something serious, it really like dilutes the seriousness. (laughs) So our queen, Snow Queen's Ice Dragon, posted an erotic trilogy titled Master of the Universe to fanfiction.net. The trilogy was a work of Twilight fanfiction and was originally posted with the following blurb. Bella Swan is drafted into interview the reclusive, enigmatic Edward Cullen, multi-millionaire CEO of his own company. It's an encounter that would change her life irrevocably, leading her to dark realms of desire. It's also, this is random, but it's also the use of the word irrevocably. Yeah. I think that's where I learnt that word through Twilight. Oh. (laughs) So the fact that it's now transferred into this, what we now know as Fifty Shades of Grey. Yeah. Is so funny. (laughs) It's honestly, that word, Stephanie Meyer loves that word. Yeah, she does. (laughs) So unfortunately, many of the readers of fanfiction.net found Master of the Universe too provocative for the website, (laughs) which is really saying something because fanfiction is notoriously sexy. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) And Snow Queen's Ice Dragon was soon forced to remove her trilogy from the site. Rather than get discouraged, however, Snow Queen's Ice Dragon, who was actually one Erica James, a television production executive and mother from London, decided to rewrite Master of the Universe and turn it into a standalone story. That is, she decided to take out all the references to Twilight. She also decided to pick a new pen name, E.L. James, and a new title for the books, Fifty Shades of Grey. Bella became Anastasia. Edward became Christian Grey, and Erica, E.L. James, inspired by her new creation, decided to self-publish the first book in the series. As per the New York Times, when James first released Fifty Shades of Grey through a small Australian press in 2011... Is she Australian? No. Oh, (laughs) I was like, we can claim her. (laughs) (laughs) No, so this is actually a little bit murky. She self-published but she did it through a very 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 small publisher like an indie publisher so it's essentially self-published but this small indie publisher owned the rights to the story as well right which kind of turned out to be a great payday for them (laughs) lucky them (laughs) so this quote continues she hoped to sell a few thousand copies and prevent online copycats from stealing her work so after just one year 
Erica had sold around 30,000 ebook copies of Fifty Shades of Grey, this original publication, and that's when the big publishing houses started to pay attention. According to the New York Times, big publishing houses and film studios began courting her. One publisher wanted to change the novel's covers to feature a bare-chested man. <laughs> Another said it took too long to get to the sex. Anne Messett, the publisher of Vintage and Anchor Books, won James over when she said the novels should be stocked at the front of bookstores, not buried in the erotica section. Vintage constructed a complex deal which transferred the publishing rights from the Australian publisher while simultaneously buying the underlying rights from James. So the company paid a seven-figure sum for the trilogy and ordered a 750,000-copy first print run. Universal Pictures bought the film rights for a reported $5 million, outmaneuvering several other studios that were offering multi-million dollar deals. Apparently, Fifty Shades of Grey was such a runaway success that there was actually a shortage of silver ink in Britain due to the sheer amount of books that they were printing. And you know the covers, like the famous cover that's like got the tie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They literally ran out of ink. Oh my (laughs) God. In the US, publishers printed one million copies a week to meet demand. And this isn't even counting the e-books. Which I purchased. (laughs) (laughs) I think most people were reading them on e-books as well. That's why this is so crazy. I read these on my school iPad. Slay. (laughs) (laughs) So to date, the Fifty Shades trilogy has sold over a 150 million books worldwide. By 2015, Erica had struck multiple licensing deals to expand the Fifty Shades brand even further. This, I forgot about this because, again, I was in high school when this was happening or early uni or something. She had lingerie, wine, floggers. I didn't know this. (laughs) Vibrators handcuffs oh my so she really went with the theme of the book (laughs) oh she went in and Mm. they were selling this stuff like i saw pictures of this in like walmart yeah in the u.s (laughs) and i think there was like a bit of an uproar at the time because it was you know so obviously all these sex toys were so obviously placed in like the middle of the store yeah which you know has a few issues i suppose but parents were like hey can we like not have this (laughs) in the middle of walmart (laughs) i wonder what they're like how many people purchase those things surely so many yeah surely So just as Twilight was subject to intense criticism, Fifty Shades of Grey was also critiqued for many of the same reasons, which makes sense, seeing as they're, you know, the same story. (laughs) (laughs) Critics panned Erica's writing style, just as they did Stephanie's, the anti-feminist implications of Anna's character and her relationship with Christian, and perhaps most notably, members of the BDSM community condemned Christian's iffy consent practices. Yeah. Do you remember this? I do remember this. Mm. I remember at the time not understanding the criticism because I was so young. Yeah. But now, yeah, like I've said, looking back, it's all so murky. But I think I can – I have like a separation in my mind of like my thoughts now and the way that it affected me when I was younger or as a Mm. teenager – and, like, the impact it had on my literal world. I consumed these books so, like, vigorously. Yeah. And so there's, like, a separation in my mind, I guess, of, like, the way I felt about it then and now. And they exist at the same time. Yeah. Yeah. I, t- I totally get that because I read these books, like, Twilight and Fifty Shades of Grey when I was quite young. I wondered, when I was researching this episode, I was like, has this, like, 
affected my views on relationships and sex and feminism when my mind was very sponge-like. Yes. You know? Yes. I don't think it has in a negative way because I've grown up and I've, you know, learned new things and researched other areas and all that kind of stuff. But you do kind of worry that maybe it did affect people negatively. yeah. Yeah. The thing is, the critics could not argue with the book's popularity. (laughs) They just couldn't. For the New York Times, reviewer Maureen Dowd wrote, even though James writes like a Bronte devoid of talent, ouch, (laughs) so brutal, (laughs) her saga is the first smash hit in the era of Mummy's Naughty Reader, as a 10-year-old dubbed it in the Wall Street Journal. Women can now download electronic erotica on their Kindles, Nooks and iPads anywhere they want with no bodice-ripping Fabio cover to give them away. I love that. It's so, it honestly drove the entire movement of Fifty Shades of Grey. The fact that you could read it without people knowing that you were reading it. Exactly. I mean, that's like the way I consumed it. It's also an interesting fact that both Stephanie Meyer and E.L. James were mums when they wrote the books. Yeah. Like, I think it has something to do with that whole, like, fantasy romance world and, like, the life that people have at the time of writing stuff like that. Totally. I do find it really interesting that, yeah, both of them were mothers to young children, Stephanie Meyer in particular, very young children. Mm. It's like, are they looking for an escape or just a little moment away from the reality of their life at that time? Or even I guess it's the act of writing a book and writing a series, having that time to yourself yeah. to do something that you're really passionate about. Yeah, it's kind of really special. Like, it is. I, I really admire it. Yeah. For all their faults, and truthfully, there are so, so many. Six pages worth of yeah, faults. Yeah, literally. <laughs> <laughs> The Fifty Shades trilogy and the Twilight Saga genuinely spoke to generations of women of all ages. Yeah. As per the Huffington Post, what does Fifty Shades of Grey reveal that women really want? The story isn't about women loving rich guys or stalkers or wanting abuse or even S&M. These features are exaggerations of common, deep-seated wishes for security, danger, excitement, adventure. To enjoy male muscularity both his body and his ability to take charge, to enjoy a confident man who knows what he wants. Women want to enjoy fucking and to be pampered, nurtured and pleasured. It's also about women finding these qualities in themselves. So Twilight and Fifty Shades are not just romantic, young adult, drivel or poorly written porn. These books, for all their faults, inspired women to pick up reading again, start writing their own books, or even their own fan fiction, Mm. to improve and expand their sex lives, and even to ask more of their partners. And that brings us to the end. What a ride. (laughs) What a ride. I think I really wanted to do this episode, and I spent a lot of time researching, probably the most out of all the Stranger Than Fictions that I've done so far, read all the Twilight books again. (laughs) Did you actually? Yeah. You are, sorry, this is just a sidebar. You are so fast. (laughs) Like, you research so much for this show and Scandal, and you read so much. It is so impressive. Guys, (laughs) give Eilish a round of applause. Oh, thank you. That's why I was reading Twilight at my desk the other day. (laughs) I promise I was researching. I wasn't just slacking off. I really feel passionate about this, like, hyper critique or kind of, 
sensation around women's interests and yeah. particularly like women's older middle-aged women or mothers relationship to sex and their partners and what they're looking for from these books yeah and I found this whole research process really fascinating a little bit sad and also you know coming across the genuine criticisms of these books really opened my eyes to like how dangerous they could be and how much better things would be if we could just be really open yeah about sex rather than like have it be hidden behind a kindle screen yeah for sure I actually wonder what I would feel if I went back and actually reread them now Mm. as an adult because I think right now I'm thinking about it through the rose-coloured glasses of like how I felt when I read it as a teen but yeah with these criticisms now you so clearly laid them out before it would be so interesting to see how I actually feel reading this book now with all of that in mind. Yeah, it's kind of confronting. Yeah. I was listening to Fifty Shades of Grey on the tram, which is honestly a really <laughs> weird thing to do. <laughs> I love when you, when you read or listen to stuff and you're looking around like, can anybody hear this? <laughs> I literally, you know when you do that thing where you like take your headphones off? <laughs> Being like, oh my god, no one else can hear this. Can it's not <laughs> accidentally playing out loud, right? I also play things through my headphones so loudly. Yeah. I'm just so used to listening to audio, and I need it up to hear the like exact details of every moment. I'm so worried about what other people can hear. <laughs> Oh, dear. Anyway, thank you so much, Eilish, for taking me on that journey. Of course. Thank you, Annabelle Lee. I'm so glad I got to do this episode with you because I know you're a Twilight fan and a Fifty Shades fan. (laughs) (laughs) Honestly, those two series, like, encapsulated my entire, like, from the age of 11 to the age of 18. It was, like, all I read. So this has been so fun. That's iconic. (laughs) Thank you so much to all of you for listening. If you want to hear more, make sure you subscribe to The Shameless Book Club on your podcast app. Bye. Bye. This podcast was recorded on Wurundjeri land. Always was, always will be Aboriginal land.